Welcome to Intimacy Play, a podcast by Pleasy Play. We host open discussions with world-leading experts on couples, sex, and intimacy, so you can build a more exciting, fun, and intimate relationship. I'm your host, Michaela Silva. Hi, everyone. We have another amazing podcast today because our guest is Hannah Hoskins. Okay, I said it wrong again. Uh, <laughs> Hannah Hoskins, uh, a disabled entrepreneur and disability educator who's helping to transform the way the world sees disability. And we're going to talk to Hannah about rediscovering sex after becoming disabled. A little intro on Hannah. Hannah is the founder of Not Your Grandma's, a disability service that acts as the ultimate guidebook for disabled people. She offers everything from information to compression socks, which, by the way, are funny as hell, um, and even a series podcast titled Am I Disabled Now? that was released last year. So welcome, Hannah. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have you here. You know, it's it's such a thing. People don't usually talk about disability and sex and relationships. Nope, not at all. <laughs> so I'm very excited to have you. <laughs> yeah. So how, just, just before we start, can you tell us a little bit um, how your disability journey began? Ooh, that's, a, that's an interesting one. So for me, um, mine is quite similar. So mine is based as a chronic illness. I have something called fibromyalgia. I... <laughs> It sort of happens over time, but for me, in my mind, I basically um, moved into a new house, started painting it, um, and the next day, literally couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't even lift my duvet off of myself, um, and I had to ask my partner at the time to like literally lift it off me because wow. I was so weak and so in pain that I couldn't do that, and I genuinely thought I was dying, um, and that is a really common kind of beginning. Um, so for me, I obviously then, I only spent a year. So commonly with people who have chronic illness, because of the nature of it, um, it, it's really difficult. It's really hard to get diagnosed. It normally takes between five to 10 years to get a proper diagnosis. I was really lucky in the sense that I got mine within a year, um, which is really, really quick. Um, but also, the diagnosis process is um, one of an el elimination. So there is no actual test to test for fibromyalgia or a lot of chronic illnesses. So it's a case of doing everything else and then going, OK, well, it doesn't fit any of these things. Then it's probably that. Um, just, just as an insight, I, um, as part of my diagnostic criteria, I got a picture of a human being and was asked to draw where it hurts. And I just circled it. <laughs> like, oh, wow. that, was, that, that was the extent of my diagnostic process. <laughs> so you can understand how there's a lot of kind of misunderstanding about what that means and what that is. And so I had this whole journey where I became chronically ill and finally had a, a name for it after a year of being really, really sick um, and not having any help because they couldn't do anything without knowing what it was. Um, at the time I was also hiding my disability at work. So I was hiding, um, I would scoot around the office on my office chair as a makeshift wheelchair and people didn't quite cotton on that I wouldn't, wasn't walking anywhere. Um, because when I did, my body was seized up and it was really painful. Um, so I got to that point 
And so I had a diagnosis and I told people in work, but the natural thing of, of chronic illness is it goes in dips and flows. So I was progressively getting worse and I started, I was really lucky. I had a friend who was also chronically ill who had something very similar and had gone through the whole process about five years before me. So she um, was like, we basically met up <laughs> for coffee and I was like getting around the, the whole cafe by like grabbing onto tables and stuff to keep myself from falling over. And she was like, Hannah, do you think a walking stick would make this easier? And I was like, oh, I can't have a walking stick. I'm not disabled. Um, so <laughs> after being bullied a little bit, <laughs> use it, you'll be fine. Um, I started using a walking stick. Now, at that point, I was also telling work. So I, there was a whole period where I was like, I don't really know how to tell my work, how I explain that to them. I was frightened I'd lose my job, but I was getting to a point where I had to have a walking stick so I didn't fall over. So I took the plunge and I told them. Um, and that was the point that I found out I was disabled. So no point up until that point had I actually connected the idea that I was disabled. And it wasn't until a year later. So I used to work in TV, used to do contract work a lot. So you would be the new person quite often in a new place. So I went into what was a new work environment. Um, I had to tell them that I was, I was using the walking stick and doing this. And they turned to me and went, do you count as diversity? <laughs> Which is a sentence you should never say, but <laughs> it ended up with me going, I don't know, let me Google it. Um, and then I- That's a positive, why not? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I mean, no one's asked me this question. I Googled it. And I literally Googled, am I disabled now? <laughs> and do you know what? Comes up quite regularly on Google. It's quite a hit, high hit on there. Um, and turns out that, yes, actually, I did count as someone who was disabled. So within five minutes, my entire world changed. And I was like, so wait, wait hang on. I'm disabled and I can get help now? <laughs> like, I, I'm entitled to benefits and things like that? And I was like, no one along this process, we're talking, this is two years into having an actual diagnosis. Um, so three years into my whole process. And then I was suddenly learning that I was actually disabled and I was entitled to all of this money and I could have different help and I could have the support that I needed um, and entitlement to help me not lose my job. Yet no one had thought to tell me this at any point. No one had turned around and been like, by the way, you're disabled now. Um, and that for me was really, really difficult because I had people in my life who'd gone through it. But if if they don't talk to you about that and they don't tell you, by the way, you're disabled, no one actually mentions it. <laughs> and, and I always thought it would be more official. So I never, I never official. looked that's... Well, yeah, I thought like someone would give me some form of like, I don't know, a mobility aid license. I, I, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I thought like I, I would have to be told to use mobility aids. I thought someone would mention if I'd become disabled, that they would give me some form of like the disability pass that we have, like, <laughs> like, like a disabled placard that said that I could park in the disability spots. Like, you know, I thought it would be a bit more official. What happened is nobody told me and I had to Google it. Um, and that's really my entire journey in the sense that I suddenly realized, I was like, am I the only person who had to Google this? Like, I felt really bad. I was like, am I that like disconnected from the idea of disability that I have no idea that I'm disabled myself? But when I started talking online about it, I found out like everybody else was the same. So statistically speaking, 
80% of disabled people aren't born disabled. It's only 20% that are born disabled. So there's a lot of us that go through this process of being like, wait, hang on, what, I'm disabled now? <laughs> and also what happens is even if you are disabled from birth, if you're not around other people who are disabled too, nobody tells you. So I have adults who come to me and are like, for my entire life, I didn't realize I was disabled because my family wouldn't use the word. And it has a massive impact. And then what we're talking about is sex on top of that. So there's just a whole nother, like, whole nother layer. For sure. I, I was thinking that, I mean, me not being disabled and not really dealing with a lot of disabled people that I know of in my life, I would think that the label was something negative. So is it is it positive? Or can it be? So... This is something I talk about a lot in the community. Um, there, there is a name for this. So we call it um, the way that you self-identify. So it, I'm someone who says I'm a disabled person. So I do identity, what we call identity first language, where I will use disabled. I have no problem with using that. I'm quite proud to be disabled. You know, <laughs> some of my merchandise is disabled and proud. You know, I'm, I'm really happy to be part of the community. However, there are some people who do not feel that way and prefer that you put their um, person first. So it's called person first language. So you would say a person with a disability. So there is a divide between these two things. A lot, a larger percentage of the disabled community prefer identity first and to call themselves disabled and don't see it as a bad word. But there are people who grow up in environments where they're not part of the disabled community um, and therefore they don't then they're very far removed from their disabled identity. Or you also get people who are fine with their disabled identity, but would prefer that you see the person first and that you understand who they are. And it, it, it's very difficult. Disability is one of the largest kind of minorities you can be a part of. But at the same time, there are so many different subgroups and subcategories. And, you know, there's as many disabilities as there are disabled people. Um, and no two people's experience is the same. It's very difficult to do a blanket covering of what is and isn't okay. For me personally, I'm really proud to be disabled and I'm happy to use the word. But the best way to kind of approach it is ask like you did and be like, do you prefer? this or would you prefer or, or just follow someone's lead you know if I say I'm disabled you can be like okay I can use that word and that's fine you know and if someone says I'm a person with a disability you then know they prefer that you put that after. And what counts as a disability or being a person with a disability? So it, it can be a lot of things and this was where my confusion started with is that I didn't really because in media all you ever see is a wheelchair and so a lot of us yes. very very carefully you know it's it's nobody's fault it's it's technically a societal issue you know no one has made this decision but we always think of disability as being a wheelchair and unfortunately that's not really what disability is disability can be anything that has a long-term effect on your life for more than six months it's the kind of official um, things. So this can be anything from cancer to um, mental health issues. So it doesn't have to be a physical disability. It can also be a mental health disability. Um, you know, anxiety can be incredibly uh, disabling or agrophobia, agrophobia can be really disabling. And that can mean that you can't do your day-to-day -day activities. It's really how much it affects your life and makes you change the way that you would live your life because of the thing that you have is the best way of looking at it. 
Um, so that that literally can be so many different things. Um, it does get more problematic when you're involving benefits because uh, governments have slightly different um, ways of defining disability and it does vary from country to country. But in general, that is the best way to kind of look at it and understand. And normally when I say that, a lot of people go, wait, hang on, that means so many people in my life are disabled. And it's actually one third of us are disabled. Um, we either don't know it, don't identify as it, or it's just not openly spoken about. Sorry, I'm... Um, a lot of information to digest. Yes, <laughs> because it's like you said, I do not have that mindset that a person that is disabled is one that uses a, a wheelchair. I don't. But I understand a lot of people do. Um, for example, I do get upset when I see somebody parking on a um, parking space that is uh, specifically for somebody with a disability. Um, I usually what I do is I don't say anything. I just go and see if they have the little, uh, I don't know how you call it, but like a sign that says that they can park there. What do you call it, sorry? It's a placard. The placard, exactly. Um, and I've noticed that sometimes I was wrong. Not a lot. But sometimes I was wrong, which is good. I, my personal thing would be not to police that. You have no... Um, so within disability culture, um, you, you have no way of understanding. You can't look at a person and see their disability. And what you're doing there is um, assuming that you would be able to see and notify it. And, and you're checking for a card because you've gone, oh, they don't look like a disabled person. And this can actually cause huge issues for people. And it's, it's not your fault and it's not anyone's fault but it can cause huge issues for disabled people because um, people will make assumptions like that and be like, well, you have to have a placard. Some people can't get even get the placard. So um, it's a lot to go through the process of even applying for one of those. And some people aren't well enough. Like when I was at my sickest, which is when I started my business, not a plan. <laughs> you know, it, I couldn't get off the sofa and sit up for more than 10 minutes at a time. So... I wouldn't have the ability to even get one of those placards and I still don't have one because even though I'm disabled, I haven't had the chance or the energy and I don't go out enough to actually apply and go through what is a very rigorous process to get hold of one. Um, and the more that we gatekeep in those attitudes towards disability, um, the more that you have people like me who have no idea they were disabled, the more that you have issues where people confront people. You know, I know a lot of people who have stoma bags and will get confronted because they walk out of a disabled toilet. Now, these people need to use a disabled toilet because it's the only place they can wash out the bags and do it hygienically. Yeah. So you can't make that assumption of what does and doesn't count. And it also, we have no right to police what people kind of call disabled and what they what they do themselves. And unfortunately, as a kind of a society and through government, we've got to this idea that we must check that no one is faking being disabled because it would be a bad thing. We, you know, we have this idea as a whole society that um, to even be disabled and count as disabled, you must go through this whole process to prove you aren't faking it. But we're so obsessed with the faking. Like the number of people who actually fake their disability, it's like 5%, do you know? Like it's, it's ridiculously low. And the number of people who actually do that compared to the number of people who don't get help because we have that idea that we have to police disability is massive. Um, and it's, it creates a huge barrier and, and why a lot of people are quite angry at the non-disabled community because there is this idea that they should have to jump through hoops 
to get help. Whereas actually they're so sick, they don't have the energy to jump through those hoops. So, yeah. I do understand that policing type of mentality in terms of that should not be done. But by the way, that was never my intention. My intention was actually to protect the community in terms of why are you using a spot that's not meant for you? You know what I mean? This again, uh, uh, yes, I do. I know exactly what you mean. This is what I talk about on my page. So <laughs> this, this is the idea, again, that you are protecting. Our community doesn't need protecting. We don't need people to police. We need people to understand. And we need people to understand that it looks different on different people and that different days, I may be able to get out the car and walk fine without a walking stick. The next day, you will see me in a wheelchair. You know, and, and that's the difference in the way that my disability isn't static. It shifts. Um, and part of talking about ableism and, and kind of doing that is like the other example that happens really, this one's a really common example. The other really common example is people who follow disabled people in wheelchairs around to make sure they're safe and can open the doors. Um, it's the same mentality. You're protecting the community, but in actual fact, what you're doing is taking away our um, autonomy and who we are as people. You're, you're going, you're a disabled person. You can't possibly go through life in any way without my help. And it's a savior complex that we have between non-disabled people who think that disabled people must be helpless. And again, that's how we talk about it in society. So we, we don't need the protection. We need you to understand that our disability might look completely different to how you have ever envisioned disability. Um, and that by looking at someone, you cannot make a judgment, um, in which case you kind of have to accept, like we need to let go of this idea that we need to protect and to um, police and make sure that no one's getting through. Because actually, again, the, the number of people who escape with faking a disability is so low. <laughs> like it's so ridiculously low. I think when I say 5% earlier, it's probably closer to 2%. Um, I, for the life of me, I cannot think of the actual statistics, um, which is really annoying because normally I, I bring them out and be like, these are the statistics. Um, so it's really complicated because, I mean, and, and I say, and I'm gently pushing you towards a different view, but at the same time, these are the views that I had too. And, and the problem is not individuals, it's the way that we're talking about disability and how much we talk about disability and we don't talk about it. And it's even down to, this is why we have the whole argument about having disabled actors play disabled characters. So again, my brain for statistics is gone, but it's something like ridiculous, like one to 2% of disabled characters are actually played by a disabled person. Um, and this is what results in these kind of skewed ideas of what disability is, because you're not having it come from the community. You're having someone else look in and go, yeah, that's what disability is. And, and then we perpetuate those ideas. Like um, one of the experiences that I have quite regularly is where if I get into a wheelchair, not only do I become invisible to people and they will talk to my partner because they they don't know how to interact with it's brilliant i i went around in a whole wow, museum really i went for a whole day without anyone speaking to me and then this one guy came up to check whether i was okay and i screamed because i was so like i'd been so used to all day everyone not addressing me i was like you're talking to me and he was like yes i i am speaking to you and i was like oh no one's spoken to me today <laughs> like you know and and people will gasp if i move my feet like if they sit, because our minds, we see wheelchair, we see paralyzation. So again, it's the way that we talk about it. So like people will get really surprised if I move my feet. And I normally, um, because I am one of those people who likes to make fun of this issue, I then go, oh, it's a miracle. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> tends to throw them off a little bit. Um, but it's it's important that we break down those barriers because um, people don't understand and they make assumptions. And so it's not our fault that we're making the assumptions, but we do have to try and correct them and actually ask a community, hey, is this the thing that I should be doing? Because often the answer, especially I, I would say with all minorities, because we also talk in disability about intersectionality. So once you're part of one minority group like disability, you're regularly part of different ones as well. Um, and how that intersects really changes the way that people treat you. So like if you're disabled and trans, your experience is so much harder because of of those intersections of of, um, of your identity because yeah. you're, it's, it's just completely changes your experience. And so we have to understand how it intersects as well. But because of that, I do feel more confident in saying that we need to always ask the community, like you'll see me do that as well. I'm like, okay, this is not my lived experience. I need someone who actually experiences that to tell me whether this is okay, but also not un understanding that no one person can speak for a whole community. Oh, like at the moment, like when you ask me about identity first and person first, I can only speak for myself and give an idea of what the community potentially um, talks about, but it, I, there's no defining because everyone's so different within it. There's no, exactly right or wrong way <laughs> there are ways that is not great um, and 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 you know i can i can guide you as much as i can but we also have to understand that there are differences um and that will depend on the person and their identity i think that's that's the real issue is that because there are so many different types of disabilities that affect people in different ways it's not just a wheelchair like like, like we've talked about and it's just it's not just you know not being able to do something uh, every day maybe you just can't do it once a week or or this week you weren't able to do anything in the next month you're you know uh, feeling amazing and you can do a lot of things because your body is allowing you to and with that with thinking about that how does becoming disabled affect your dating uh, and sex life it affects everything so uh, becoming disabled is one of the most transformative life experiences I would say it literally rips apart every single part of what you thought your life was and you then have to piece it back together and and it isn't just because it's it isn't because disability is a bad thing but disability highlights all of the areas in your life that you maybe were trying to avoid things so um I found well I spent a lot of time on the sofa when I was very sick. Like I couldn't get off the sofa and you're alone with your thoughts for a very long time. And so everything in your life and the way that you interact with friends or the way that you, you are with your family or the way that you date completely changes and it changes fundamentally who you are as a person. Um, and you have to reevaluate almost everything again. So your dating life changes because you... <sighs> because of the way that disability is and the way that people see disability, you first have to assess whether that partner can see you as a person and not as someone who's disabled. Like you have to obviously see the disability because it obviously affects every part of your life. But at the same time, quite often people reduce us to just the disability. And so once that happens, 
they don't necessarily understand that we're independent or that we can do things by ourselves. Even if it looks a bit awkward to you, we're obviously just going to do it in a in an adapted way that works for us. Um, and a lot of it is finding a partner who will allow for the differences and understand that they make part of you, but that's okay. And that everything will be different, but it can also be better because a lot of us, because we rely a lot more on other people in terms of trying to get our needs met in terms of maybe we need help with doing the shopping or we need help with, you know, getting out and about, um, communication becomes so much more in your relationship because you have to communicate your needs. And once you start learning to do that, you can often, often disabled people teach their partners to be much more open about their needs because it's like, well, I have these needs and I need to be helped with these things. You are also allowed to ask me and say, what are your needs and what you need to be able to function within this relationship. And so there's often a deepening of that connection because you're forced into really communicating really, really well. Yeah. Do you think that it also has to do with the way you see yourself? Let me elaborate a little bit. So if you put your disability first and all you talk about to your partner is about that, do you think that's also something that can inhibit your partner? Or if you say, you know, I have this disability, this is who I am, but I'm still me. You know, I might need help here or there, but sexually, um, day-to-day life, I'm still you know, whatever my name is. Again, this is kind of a misnomer. You cannot ever remove the disability because the disability is a part of you and it's part of absolutely every part of your life. But we also don't want to be reduced to it. So this idea that you don't see the disability is really difficult for me because there is no way, like my life is completely changed because of it. There is no way of removing it. Um, But it also is a great part of me and I'm proud of it. Um, there are obviously days I wish I wasn't in pain, but I love the community that I'm part of. And I love um, the way that it has changed and touched my life in terms of being able to understand myself better. So I think it's a really hard question to answer because it depends on each individual person. And it also depends on how you identify with with that. Um, it completely changed my identity. I am a completely different person to who I was before. I'm much kinder. I'm much more patient. Um, I am more forgiving as a person because I understand that my body just can't do things. Um, and therefore like I, I learned to be patient and kind of forgiving to other people. I was like, Oh, I have to accept that, you know, I have to take other people as they are and kind of go, okay, I need to be accepted as I am. So to do that, I have to accept everybody else. (laughs) And once you start doing that, it's, it very much changes the way that you interact with people. Um, I have much deeper relationships with people, um, friends and family and partners um, in that sense. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really complex one. There isn't a simple answer to it. And I think the problem that we often have is that we try and think that there is a simple answer to it. Um, and that therein lies the madness in that sense um because you you literally can't it's very individual and at different stages in my experience of my identity 
you will get different answers. So like in the beginning, I would have been very ashamed of it and I was very unsure of it and I didn't know how to use my body or um, how to even work with it because every time I tried to like sit up, I couldn't do that. Like, you know, when, when, when you strip back to the absolute basics, like we're talking absolutely everything. I had to relearn how to walk. I had to learn how to, you know, move. I had to learn how to breathe and think like even even down to so energy for me can even be taken from just thinking um so when every single part of everything has to be rebuilt with an idea of how that works Mm -hmm. everything has to change (laughs) like everything has to change because you have to change the way that you do that and then you have to rediscover it I think the way I would describe it is very much like going through puberty all over again. It was that like awkwardness and that like, I don't really know what I'm doing and I don't know how to do this. And I feel really embarrassed about it because I don't really know what I'm doing. And I used to be okay with this (laughs) and and it's now all different. Um, And what do I do with that? And um, yeah, there's an awkward phase that you go through um, where you have to learn how to even deal with it. Like, yeah, it's... That's a good comparison, the purity um, phase of, of a person's life. And what would you suggest for a recently for a person that recently knows that they are disabled, that they have a disability? If they're starting to date again, or if they have never stopped, but they've just learned that they have this disability, would you advise them to talk about it on a first date, to wait for it? Uh, does it depend on the disability? I think it depends on the disability. Also, it depends on the partner. Like for me, I would want to know, like, it depends. Cause like a lot of people, like, <laughs> you know how like you can have passing straight, you can also have passing non-disabled. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I can sometimes pass for non-disabled because I can walk and you wouldn't know I was disabled apart from the fact that I can't get out of a seat without, you know, being really stiff and being like, oh. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it literally is. Um, uh, or that moment where I nearly fall over when I get up because you just see me kind of right myself. <laughs> I have um, atomic problems with my system, so it uh, doesn't level out when you stand up, so you nearly okay. pass out. Mm-hmm. So you have to wait a few minutes and be like, um, uh, no, I'm not falling over, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm good, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of, um, it really depends. If you can pass as being non-disabled, Sometimes you can choose to hold back that information. Um, I personally wouldn't, only on the basis that I think to be within an actual relationship that works, if that's what you're looking for, like if you're looking for a one night stand, completely different. Um, if yeah. you if you don't want to see that person again, that's fine. Don't tell them. Like you don't care. That's fine. You do you. Um, if however you want a long-term relationship, my my advice would be to broach that subject as soon as possible because you want to know whether they can understand you or want to understand you or want to learn more about it and, and are willing to be open-minded. Um, and you can also very quickly work out whether they're um, someone who doesn't understand disability. So um, if a partner doesn't understand disability, I don't think that's a, like a write them off now because you also had to learn how to be disabled so you have to give other people time to learn how to deal with disability and often it's only through being around someone who's disabled that we do that um but i i would be up front if it was if i was dating now i would be up front with it because 
I who you are, right? It's part of who yeah, you are. Yeah, like it's it, and also if that person can't cope with it, then they're probably not the person for you. Like um they're not worth your time, right? Yeah. Unless you want a one night stand, which is exactly different. I mean, like, I mean, you know, um disabled people have the exact same feelings as everybody else, I think, but there are people who don't understand that. Um, and there are people who will be very creepy with you. Um and very odd. Um, I have been solicited in some very odd ways online. Um, because you are so because you are disabled, so specifically because of that. Yeah. So there's a fetishism around disability. Um, oh. So people get uh, they they like things like watching you struggle to transfer from your wheelchair to like a seat or something like that. Um, so there can be that element. Um, also, obviously, we need to bring up the fact that uh, disabled people are more likely to be sexually assaulted as well um because there's unfortunately there is an element where people can be quite abusive towards disabled people because of the lack of understanding but then there's also the sexual assault element because often disabled people aren't maybe in the position to be able to get themselves out of a not so safe situation Um, quickly maybe yeah, it's it's an unfortunate thing. To, it's a scary thing to talk of because I like the first time I used my walk my walking stick on my own. Um, it wasn't even night; it was kind of early evening. It's still bright, but it very much made me feel uncomfortable because I was like, I know that I can't run away if someone did decide to attack me. So we do have to talk about the fact that you want to weed out those kinds of people as quickly as possible and keep yourself safe. And I, it's the same as any sort of safety thing in terms of like if you're going to date someone who's maybe online or you know you you don't really know it that well or doesn't know you very well that's you know you obviously follow the same safety rules but there is an extra element of cautiousness that comes with being disabled because you can't get yourself out of those situations i understand just just as a, a note you can always hit them with the stick so that'd be good yeah that was always my my worry though <laughs> is that I'm one of those people who would let go. So like you hit them with the stick and then run away. But if you let go of it, then you can't really run away. And if you're using it to hit them with the stick, if you lose your balance, you're buggered. <laughs> like, hit them where it hurts. Yeah. But, yeah. But this involves thinking that my legs are steady enough. <laughs> exactly. Take the walking stick up and whack them. Um, I wouldn't necessarily trust my legs to see me through that issue. <laughs> Give me one second. I need my legs to work just for a little bit. One second. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll whack it yeah <laughs> so I understand that it's hard to give advice when you don't know specifically the person the situation or the disability um, but I like how you phrased it if if you really want a relationship you want somebody that at least in time will understand you know it doesn't mean they will understand on the spot sometimes we we have negative reactions for some reason because we don't understand them uh, but we can get there um, however I was thinking how was it like when you had to rediscover sex? So after becoming disabled, like like you were explaining, your whole body was different. You had to work, even your mind, you know, your disability is not on your mind, but it's it still affected your mind in the way that you thought, the way that you, you had like- well, I, have com- I have cognitive processing issues. So it means that I literally cannot process because of the amount of energy, <laughs> well, we don't think about when we're not disabled or not someone who has fatigue issues. And this happens a lot in disability. It's very misunderstood within disability as well. But fatigue issues um, literally go for everything. So like you don't realize how much energy your brain takes up 
until you don't have the energy to make it function. Um, so for me, that turns out with words I can't say, half my face will go, they will look like I have a stroke or, you know, like I genuinely can't speak properly. I can't form sentences. I will replace words and not realize I've done it. Um, I also can have entire conversations with someone and then ask the same question five minutes later um, because I don't retain the information because my brain just doesn't have the power. If I'm in a lot of pain, it doesn't go, okay, let's store this information. It's like, oh, we didn't have a conversation about this. Like, literally talked to you about this five minutes ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know, everything absolutely changed. Um, and obviously the first kind of, especially the first kind of year, it was survival. It wasn't, um, you know, obviously when, when we're in survival mode, there isn't, that pleasure in life so you lose absolutely everything um and it can cause massive issues within relationships it can um make people feel because also bear in mind i have like pain from touch so for me like um there's there's two things there's pain from touch and there's also something called allodynia which um is pain from sensations that can't shouldn't hurt so um a fan in a room can cause me pain Okay. um and physical pain because what it does is my nerves are so um overprimed that they kind of interpret everything even the small stuff as being pain um we don't entirely know why that happens but we do know it happens so um when you're kind of at that basic level like pleasure like that does not exist um because you are literally trying to fight to survive you're trying to be able to get up to go to the toilet and um, brush your teeth and those sorts of things, you know, very bare minimal stuff. Um, so at that point, it's definitely not an issue if you're in a place where sex has become something that you don't think about. Um, and when I talk to a lot of other people within the community, the real issue is when you get to a point in your kind of illness where you have found enough coping mechanisms, you have an all right baseline like it's not it's not great you like you still get tired you still have issues but you have enough kind of space within your life to be able to think about other things and do things for pleasure rather than just the survival element um and then it's really difficult because either you have got to relearn how to have sex but you also then your partner has to get over the fact that there has been such a long time in which you're not able to cope with the physical intimacy um, because you can't hug in the same way. Like it's, it's even down to hugging and kissing. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not even just sex. It is literally the most basic of intimacy. Um, and often your partner has to repress their feelings to be able to get through it. It's, it's a, a really common thing and we don't talk about it enough because, you know, I've had friends who've turned to me and been like, oh, my partner's really struggling with the fact that I now want sex. And people don't understand that actually this is really normal and that, that happens a lot. Um, and it is again, almost like having to go through the first time of being with that partner because you have to strip everything that you knew completely back. I mean, I have to have ridiculous things. Like I have to have an isotonic drink on hand, <laughs> like, so I don't faint. <laughs> and, you know, I wear compression socks, which is not always the most sexy thing. Um, you know, and, and everything that you did has to be changed. So, um, yeah, it's, it's completely relearning everything. But is self-pleasure maybe a, a first step that you can yeah. approach for yourself? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good first step in the sense that, um, you can work out your stamina a little bit better. You can also work out because 
because touch completely changes and the way that you feel things completely changes, you need to work out what does and doesn't work. Um, so it is great to start with self-pleasure first. Um, also, so weirdly, certain pain and stuff doesn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. So some people who uh, enjoy kind of more, you know, BDSM stuff and things like that, they find that weirdly that pain is fine and you can cope with that pain and it doesn't hurt in the same way as your day-to-day -day pain. So a lot of other people also find it really difficult to kind of go back through if you enjoyed uh, anything that was outside of sort of the, you know, the if you enjoyed different things like that. Yeah, it wasn't vanilla, you know, you almost have to rediscover that again, but often we're put off from that idea. So we're like, well, why would I put more pain into my life? That That's ridiculous. Um, but that pain isn't the same. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of learning to learn that those things actually can still be part of your life. And mm -hmm. like, you don't have to be like, oh no, I can't do that. Or I can't do this because of it's, it just has to be adapted. And, and trying to find groups that talk about that is a nightmare. It's utter nightmare. Um, because nobody does um there are a few really good accounts on instagram um that do talk about things like that and and do talk about sex and disability but again it, it's really dependent on what your disability is you know if you're an amputee it's going to be completely different to someone like me who has chronic illness of course of course the type of um pain that you feel is different the type of uh touches as well yeah. that, you, that you want and that you need and everything else you were talking about how how everything is different and i was thinking that sex toys might also not be you know the exact same ones that you used before if, if you did and on your site you mentioned uh, you mentioned handy so yeah. they actually have a line of disabled sex toys so they're working on their line at the moment um i don't think they've released it it's basically a hands-free it's like a giant pillow is the best way to describe it that goes between your legs so um if you're someone who doesn't have so a lot of people in the disabled community may not have the physical ability to lift up a sex toy or even to pleasure themselves on their own um so there is this kind of taboo nature and oh, again obviously I, i'm not talking from personal experience but there is this taboo element where people don't talk about the fact that you might need someone to help you that may not be a partner like if you don't have a partner is that an aid and then in which case you know aids can then place a sex toy and then leave you to it but okay. often you can't maybe do it yourself or you can't so there's all of that scope within disability about you know people not understanding people who don't even have motor abilities like for me I couldn't hold a vibrator for very long because that will um the vibrations actually hurt my hand and then mm -hmm. I, my hand tends to seize up which is the least helpful of things um because any sort of see everyone's had a seizing point uh, during that it, it's not fun it kind of kills the mood um really I wouldn't think so <laughs> <laughs> um and so it's kind of yeah everything's an adaption like the way like some people find like um you know the clitoral suction toys mm -hmm. yeah are really good because you can pop them in place and then you don't have to hold them in place sometimes if you get really good ones um so again it's really depends but yeah handy you're working on like a line but they're starting with ones that are completely hands-free that you don't have to use anything for um so that people who are don't have that physical ability to hold something uh, so like for right. clarification, their sex toy is aimed at people with penises, right? 
I don't think it is just for people with penises. Okay, then I have to research better. Okay, good. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, no, because I, I think it vibrates. I don't know enough about the ergonomics of it, but as far as I'm aware, I don't think it, no. I think it, it okay, then it's good because that was my, I mean, I've seen Handy's website because at Pleasy, we do, we use a lot of sex toys on our boxes to send to couples. And something that we want to to include is, you know, smaller brands that are more inclusive. And yeah. we had a look at, at Handy, but to be honest, I actually understood that they were more focused on the penis, which was fine. Yeah. Uh, but it just, my mindset was was there. But if they're, yeah. if they're focused on both, um, yeah, I think they're focused on both. Also, um, that's good. I, I think they're expanding afterwards. I, I don't quote me on that. <laughs> <But> <laughs> as far as I'm aware, I think uh, they are planning on expanding to other toys. It, it's taking it, it takes a while, especially when you are trying to create a what is effectively a mobility aid. Um, the hoops you have to jump through are oh, yeah incredible um and there are so many layers again to creating something that works for disability you know it's what area of disability are you going to look at you know um it really depends just on a side note the podcast is not uh sponsored by handy we just love talking <laughs> about brands and and things that can help in this case the community um of people with disability and because we've been talking for a long time, although it seems it's, it was very, very short, um, I'd love to ask one last question. And that is, how do you keep your relationship open, exciting and intimate with the perspective of, you know, being within the disability community, disabled community, I mean? I think it's communication. I, I honestly believe that all good relationships and all good sex comes from actually being honest about what you need and want. Um, and that is a skill that disabled people learn very, very quickly. <laughs> so like you have to, like, it's not a, like in the non-disabled community, you can choose to be terrible at communication and it won't, you know, it will affect your life, but it won't massively affect your life. Um, with disability, it can be life or death. <laughs> so it's, it is very much, you learn to communicate and you're going to whether you like it or not. Um, so you might as well communicate about the other things because you get to that point where you're like, well, I've learned how to communicate about all these other difficult stuff. You know, when you can't go to the toilet by yourself, that, that rides through that barrier that you have. <laughs> like, you're like, right, okay, well, I'm just going to talk about anything now. Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed by it because otherwise, you're going to spend a life, especially with disability, if you can't learn to communicate, it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, and that I think goes for anyone, like, you know, I think, but yeah, communication, 100%, like, will always be my answer because, <laughs> because <laughs> people cannot, they cannot help you or cannot provide you what you want if you don't tell them. They are not mind readers. You need to work with a partner and be like, this is what I want. This is what I like. This is terrible. And that hurts. And that's okay. Um, and if that person takes offense to that, then they're probably not your person. Yeah. And I think the sentence that he just said actually is for everybody. If you're not able to communicate with your partner, whether you have a disability or not, if you're not able to communicate what you like, what you don't like, and if you're not able to listen, because it's not just communicating, it's listening to what your partner wants and doesn't want, to be honest, you're not really in a good relationship or 
maybe just black, you know, you just, yeah. you know, slide just into it. Sets, so. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, for everybody that wants to learn a little bit more about disability, where can they find you, Hannah? Oh, you can find me over on Instagram under not your grandma's UK, um, or one word. Um, or you can find out on the website, which is notyourgrandmas.co.uk. And something that Hannah has released, which I think is very interesting, is the ultimate guidebook for disabled people. Something that you did not have, so you created for other people with disabilities. Yeah, pretty much. It's full of everything that I had questions about that no one seemed to be talking about. And so I wrote about it. <laughs> can this be found on your website? It can be found on my website and also on my Instagram as well. Awesome. Hannah, I have learned really a lot and I did study about you. I was you know, trying to understand better disability before our conversation. So it's interesting how just having a talk with somebody that has a disability can really you know, make you think about things in a different perspective. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. And that was Intimacy Play. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about Pleasy and how we can take your relationship to the next level, visit pleasyplay.com. Then also make sure to search for Intimacy Play in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Pleasy, thank you for listening. Thank you.